amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This podcast contains discussion of murder, gun violence, robbery, self-mutilation, and mentions of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. From 1932 to 1934, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow were perhaps the best-known outlaws in the United States. It was during the Great Depression that Bonnie and Clyde rose to fame for their daring bank heists and Robin Hood-esque crimes. Hollywood glamorized them as a young couple in love, but in their time on the run, they left a trail of death and destruction in their path and are believed to be responsible for the deaths of four civilians and nine police officers. Their story came to an abrupt end at the hands of authorities in May of 1934, when they were only 23 and 25 years old. Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm -mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. 
And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Oh my gosh. 23 and 25. That is so young. Super young. This one, you know, just so you guys know, is, uh, and thank you to Mark for writing it. He kind of picked it as like a little bit of a palate cleanser, you know, kind of like semi-light in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My husband is a lot more interested in these kind of cases than everything else we always do. So he was kind of excited about it. He's not going to listen to it. Is he going to watch the many things that are out there about Bonnie and Clyde? Um, no, Mm-mm. no. Okay, so he's yeah. just he's just interested, interested. He considered it's interesting. Not going to do anything about it. Okay, and interested is interesting. That's from the movie A Loser with Jason Biggs and Mina Suvari, and Dan Aykroyd says it whenever he's giving him, you know, just a, a scorch of advice about going to the big city. So. Oh, yeah. It's when you got to get the pants with the sagging already in it. Right. Maybe yeah. bring a sixer. <laughs> home, good, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, did anybody request this? I think I think just Mark picked it. I think Mark picked it. And you know what? It's kind of a... Uh, you know what? I, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a nice shift because it's still murder. And it's still crimes. But... It's something that we don't usually or have not done in the past very often. So it's it's a little, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's just different. We could talk about crime and laws. The laws, the laws. are after us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of southern things, I think, in this. Well, we are southern, so it's exactly. pretty on brand. Yeah. All right. So when you hear the names Bonnie and Clyde. What do you think of? Maybe you think of like Romeo and Juliet, kind of like a love story, or maybe you think about the crime spree that resulted in their deaths in a hail of bullets and gunfire. Maybe you think of the Eminem song, 97 Bonnie and Clyde. You know what I think of, and I've been singing it since we I knew we were going to do this. It's Travis Tritt's of the modern day Bonnie and Clyde. That's what I've been. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous how much and just right here in the noodle, just rolling around in there. Travis Tritt living rent free up there. Uh, and Billy Bob Thornton stars in the music video. So you know how much I love Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, I need to go back and look at that. See if he's hot in that or not. I would say yeah. See, I see it now. I, I'm in very the, Tracy Lawrence right, about it. I see it now in the right light. Billy Bob Thornton can look kind of hot. Just saying. But with today's episode, we're going to dive into the story and the mythology that has been built up around the couple and their crime spree. While there is plenty information about their later lives and obviously the crime spree, there's very little when it comes to their early pre-crime and lives. Because once they get old, once they got older, they got to crime and. And then them laws were after them. Every time. Every time. So we will start there with the little information that we have to go on. So Bonnie Parker was born on October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas. 
If you're from there and it's Rowena, sorry. I don't hate you. I just don't know the name. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty either way. Despite her infamous reputation, little is known about Parker's early life and upbringing, as we previously stated. Through various accounts and historical records, a picture of Bonnie's early years can be pieced together. Growing up, Bonnie was the second of three children born to Charles Parker and Emma Krause. When Bonnie was just four years old, her father died. You may read that her parents divorced, but in more places, you'll see that he passed away. So again, we don't know for dang sure, but it seems as though he's passed away. Either way, her mother had to raise the children on her own, um, and Bonnie was primarily raised by her mother and grandmother. She was a smart and imaginative child with a natural talent for writing poetry and a love of books. And she was also known to be a little bit of a daredevil, and she very much enjoyed attention, which is going to come into play later. And she was a risk taker. At a young age, Bonnie showed a strong desire for adventure and a life beyond the confines of rural Texas. She dreamed of becoming a famous movie star and was said to be captivated by the glamour and excitement of Hollywood. Despite her big dreams while growing up, though, money was extremely tight for the family, as it was for many others during that time. Because of the lack of money growing up, Bonnie had little to no opportunity to pursue her dreams of acting. Bonnie dropped out of school in the sixth grade and began working odd jobs to help support her family, but eventually returned. And in 1926, when she was in her second year of high school, she met a man named Roy Thornton. So they hit it off quickly. They essentially immediately dropped out of school. They got married. And this is about a week before Bonnie turned 16 years old. What a different time it was. I know. Can you imagine? Yeah. Who you would have chosen... (laughs) When you were 15, just fixing to be 16, and then to start your life as a a wife when you were damn near 16? I'm barely making it now. (laughs) And you're old. You mean I got to share shit with somebody? Yeah. Shut up. I'm not that old. (laughs) I'm 18 months behind you, so I can't say shit. But like, yeah, and like how often people dropped out of school school, you know, very early on. And I mean, they wanted to help the family, but like now you get in trouble for that kind of shit. And like, then it was just like, well, he's got a fifth grade education and like, so does a lot of other people. And that's fine. You know, like, it's just crazy how we're not that far away from it. God, we're a hundred years from it, aren't we? See, why do I not? I mean, if I really think about it, I'm like, yeah, but that hurt my feelings. My first initial thought is like, well, I was like, I mean, I'm still up here, early 2000s. So 100%. the 70s were 30 years ago. You will never change my mind about that. Exactly. So at best, what were 80 years from that? And then like, no, Lord of mercy, 100 years. Mm-hmm. That I was today years old. Well, we are the ancestors per that. Tweet or whatever. (laughs) Oh, you mean the ancestors? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. 
online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. All right, so she's barely 16. She's married. They weren't together all that long. Roy got in trouble with the laws. The laws was after him like all the time. He would disappear for periods of time. In 1929, they separated. They never officially divorced. And then in 1933, he ended up being sentenced to five years in prison for robbery and for attempting to escape from different prison facilities. And then in 1937, he was killed trying to escape from Huntsville State Prison. Hmm. A lot of prison escapes. I wonder how much more common that was, too. It just seemed like they could be like, I said, I'm busting out of here. And then they did like every time. Uh, tell me about it. I know because I think I had to realign my expectations or something whenever I was like reading and watching about this because I was like, damn, like, because you just don't hear about it that often anymore. I mean, it still happens, but it's a lot more rare than apparently it was back then to just bust out of prison. But I was I, at first I was like, oh, my God. like, Again, they oh I know they, again? maybe they did yeah. that a lot. I don't know. Yeah, it's like every time they get arrested, you're like, damn, they're arrested now, and then they're like, not anymore. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh shit, they're out now for me. Yeah, like yeah. Okay. But I mean, I guess you didn't have like metal detectors then, obviously. To you could just bring a damn gun in and be like, Ugh, right. You don't even have to bake anything into a pie or anything like that. You just show up with it. and But, I mean, also, that, so maybe as easy, quote-unquote, as it was to bust out, the prison guards, there weren't any rules like there are now. So they could have beat you within an inch, an inch of your life or killed you and just been like, well, fine, hang him. Tried to get out. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. Looked at me sideways. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So after she and Roy Thornton split, split. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Splint. <laughs> it's Thornton. Thornton's messing with me. Too Ooh. many ends. Yeah. After she and Roy Thornton split. <laughs> stop. There it is. Yep. Bonnie moved to Dallas to live with her mother and pursue her dream of becoming a movie star. Except that, unfortunately... She ended up being involved in a car accident and it left her with a permanent limp. Kiss that dream goodbye. We don't do limps in Hollywood. Yeah, it's really sad that something like that, that she had absolutely no, no power to stop. She had no way to, you know, she's powerless. Like it just, it happened and it happens to people like you, you just can't help that. And after that, it's like her dreams gone. Well, it's just ridiculous because if she, I don't know if she was a talented actress or not, but say she was, like, because she walks with a slight limp, you're just going to be like, forget it. Like, yeah, you just have not to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> you have to be completely perfect to be uh, an actor. I would say back then, but maybe even now, I don't mm-hmm. even know. But yeah, I've never or tried a model, to pursue it because. Or a singer or a. Yeah. I hope to God it's changing because that is not representative of the entire, the majority of the population of the Gosh, world to be perfect. Near like nobody. Yeah. yeah, it's like 0.1% of people are, or something, I don't know, statistics, whatever, numbers, mm-hmm. pie charts, things like that. But that's just sad. 
Yeah. I mean, I had a hard time, like after I had my first kid being like, what is wrong with me? Because I haven't lost my baby weight in six weeks. Like, because you were looking at Giselle Bundchen and she bounced back in two and a half days or something. Which good for you if you can. Kate Hudson worked out for six hours a day up until like whatever award show she had to go to after she had her child. And I'm like, well, she bounced back in three weeks. Why have I? I don't look any different. And it took me a year. And like Mark's wife, actually, Michelle was like, it took you 10 months to have this baby, you know, to grow this child and to gain the weight and all that. Like, yeah, it's going to take you a year to get it off. Like, if not more, or you know, whatever, like your body's different now. You had a child, but it's just that stuff that's in our brains from like these unrealistic expectations that we either put on ourselves or looking at media, social media, even now, of course, like my gosh, but all that kind of stuff. It just makes you feel like you're inadequate, which is not absolutely not true, mm-hmm. but it's human nature sometimes to compare yourself to somebody that you think you should be like, which is just, yeah, it's toxic and sad. Yeah. And the fact that like, to say, well, you've been in a car accident and you sustained an injury. Therefore, you're no longer worthy. Just don't. Uh-huh. Just yeah. don't. Bonnie's not my favorite person, but that's not fair. No. So now she is no longer able to work in show business like she wanted to. And she found herself struggling to make ends meet. And it was in early 1930 when Bonnie met Clyde Barrow, whose early life we know even less about, if you can imagine that. Clyde Barrow was born on March 24th, 1909 to a poor family in Toledo, Texas. His father was a farmer. His mother worked as a laundress. How do you say his mom's name? I don't. C-U-M-I-E. Is it Cumie? Now, the History Channel did a mini-series on Bonnie and Clyde. And in the mini-series, nobody ever says her name but I always watch the subtitles on because there's two things I can't see without my subtitles and my eyelashes. So subtitles are always on. And they spelled it in all the articles and everything I read. It was C-U-M-I-E. But in the subtitles on the History Channel thing, they spelled it C-U-M-M-I-E. And I was like, tell me her name is not Cummy. Surely to God. I think it's Cumie. Because it's everything that I've seen written, it's one M. I'm going to say Cumie because I don't think I can say it the other way. Maybe it's short for something and they're just like, well, this will be a cute little nickname and it's not. Mm-mm. I couldn't find anything that said what her actual, like, I found God her name as, well. yeah, Cumie Talitha, I think, Walker. I don't think it's I've heard Talitha. Talitha. Talitha, yeah. So I just, anyway, I was like, when I saw that on the subtitles, I was like, surely to God not. Surely to God not. Anyway. But she was a laundress. And Clyde was the fifth of seven children. Growing up, Clyde had a troubled childhood marked by poverty, violence, and abuse. Like Bonnie's family, money was a constant struggle. Uh, When the Barrows moved to West Dallas, they didn't have a place to live, so they slept in their wagon until they were able to save enough money to buy a tent. So Clyde ended up dropping out of school in the fifth grade, and he started working odd jobs around his neighborhood and in town trying to earn any money he could to help at home. In his teenage years, Clyde got to crimin'. He was arrested several times for various offenses, including theft and burglary. He was first arrested in late 1926 at age 17 after running when police had confronted him over a rental car 
that he'd not returned on time. I didn't know they had rental cars in 1926. Apparently. I mean, I suppose it makes sense. It's just... Well, that's when Enterprise got its start was in 1929. Or 1926, excuse me. This feels like bullshit. It is bullshit. I don't know. (laughs) But, yeah. Yeah. Enterprise famously rented their first car to Clyde Barrow, who did not even return it on time. Could you imagine (laughs) if you, like, you were like, I have an idea for this rental thing. And, like, because not everybody has cars, but they could pay to just use it for the day. And you're like, yes, sir, this young man, you may borrow my car for the day, bring it back tomorrow. And he's like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just never comes back. And you're like, you believe what somebody stole my car? <laughs> we just started yesterday. And yeah, I trusted you. Yeah, that's uh, that's people for you. His second arrest was with his brother, Buck, soon after. And this was uh, for possession of stolen turkeys. Not the turkeys. Not the turkeys. How do you catch somebody with that? You know, now when you think of possession, you think of like maybe something small in somebody's pocket, such as like drugs or something like that. But the turkeys. The turkeys, yeah. Difficult to hide, I would say. Larger than pocket size. Um, can be quite loud. Can be very like, loud, yeah. That, yeah. So it's like, was he walking around mean. town with a bunch of turkeys behind him? And they were like, that's not your turkeys. How do you know? <laughs> Hand over them turkeys. I just, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know how, I would never, and I mean never, steal a turkey because of the pecking. They are mean as hell. They're mean as hell. I have seen, we had a friend who, she was trying to get into her truck after leaving work and there was a turkey swarming. Just one, just the one turkey, just around her truck and he wouldn't let her get in it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope, she had to walk home. <laughs> She's still in that parking lot She's trying to get that into that. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barrow did have some legitimate jobs during 1927 through 1929, but he also cracked safes, robbed stores, and stole cars. In January of 1930, Clyde met 19-year-old Bonnie Parker through a mutual friend. And for the next few weeks after they met, they were literally inseparable. They spent almost all of their time together. Their time together was interrupted, though, because Clyde got arrested for auto theft and burglary. Mm. Oops. That's crime and we don't like it. Clyde was arrested and charged with two counts of burglary and five counts of auto theft for his involvement in an interstate crime ring. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison and was transferred to the Eastham Prison Farm in April of 1930. And later, Clyde would say that Eastham was a quote-unquote hellhole, which... Um, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while he was there, he said that he witnessed prisoners getting beaten and forced to sit in 10 sweat boxes in the hot Texas sun for hours on end. That is How torture. That, uh-huh. I mean, 10. Like, that's effectively or essentially cooking your ass inside of this 10 sweat. And from what I have heard and seen, it's not limited to this was not the only place that this kind of punishment was used obviously right. right but that's not ugh. is anything went back then apparently i don't know they didn't yeah. have the laws and regulations that we have now and even still you know but some claim that prisoners were murdered by guards sometimes just for the 25 dollar reward for capturing escaped prisoners 
$25 was a lot of money then too. That was like mm-hmm. almost $500 today for the Goog machine just now. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you I don't powered do up Mr. Bing McGoogle and yeah. I mean, it is, it would be a lot, but for somebody's life, like I know that it's an escape prisoner. I get it. But my gosh, like to have that many lives on your yeah. Deaths on your hands. I don't That's know, what we call for... a latent consequence because they're like, this will give people incentive to turn in escaped prisoners. But what they didn't think about was that people are garbage and that they would, these guards would be like, well, I'll just shoot him and say he was trying to escape and I get the reward. Right. Yep. Grow up. Uh-huh. Grow up. Clyde managed to escape the farm with Bonnie's help, but was captured very shortly after and sent right back. When Clyde was at Eastham, he was repeatedly sexually assaulted by another inmate, and eventually Clyde retaliated by attacking the other inmate with a metal pipe. It was Clyde in the bathroom with the metal pipe. It was. Yes. He bashed the man over the head and crushed his skull. And many reports say that this was his first murder, but another inmate who had a life sentence took responsibility to keep Clyde from facing the repercussions of killing his abuser. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I was already serving life in prison. Like, what's another? Yeah. To add on to? I don't, I mean, he didn't have to do it, but he did. In an attempt from or to keep from being sent to the fields to work, Clyde took extreme measures. I cannot even imagine this. So he used an axe and he had two of his toes cut off, hoping that the injury would keep him from the brutal labor in the Texas heat. He got rid of two piggies so he wouldn't have to go work the fields. But was he sure that that would have even done it? Because I feel like with how awful they were to the prisoners, they would have been like, get out there. Yeah. Who cares? Like, yeah, like... I don't know. I can't. You still got eight of them. Right. I can't imagine that that he would have been like, this is foolproof. It's 100% going to work. I think he was like hoping and praying for the best. And he's got eight more toes to. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's unknown whether Clyde did it himself or if he had the help of another inmate, but only six days after cutting his toes off, it proved to be unnecessary. So while Clyde was plotting on how to get out of prison, he didn't know it, but his mom, Kumi, had been talking to any and everyone that she could to petition for his release, and eventually it worked. So he was released six days after his injury. He lost two damn piggies, and then six days later, he was released. And unfortunately... For, I guess, everyone, his time in prison made him a hardened and bitter criminal. And his sister, Marie, said, quote, something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out. And an inmate that served with Clyde said that he saw him change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake during his time in prison. I mean, it happens to a lot of people. It's not a forgiving environment. Right. It's certainly not made or intended 
for people to grow and change and rehabilitate now, is it? Well, and I'm going to go out on a limb and possibly say maybe even less so in 1920-something. A little bit. Now I've got that song. It was 1920. He never did 20-something, but I really do hate that song. But no, I hate that song. It's, it's stuck in my head now. So Thanks so much. You're welcome. <laughs> it's one of my... One of life's simple pleasures just to get something stuck right in your head. Obviously, you do it to me every day. Every day. Every day. And it works every time. But anyway, so Clyde's experiences while at Eastham drove him to hate the facility and so much so that his main goal after getting released was to get enough money to buy enough guns so he could go back with the gang and destroy the place. So once he was released, Clyde, Bonnie, and a man named, or a man Clyde served with named Ralph Foltz began a series of robberies. They mainly focused on gas stations and small grocery stores, and Foltz actually hated Eastham just like Clyde did, so he was happy to join. And in late March, early April of 1932, the gang was robbing a hardware store for any guns they had, but that's when things went south. When they tried to flee, Foltz and Bonnie were both arrested. Bonnie was in jail for a few months, but ultimately released when a grand jury didn't indict her. Foltz was convicted and served time in prison, and he ended up never joining back up with Bonnie and Clyde. While Bonnie was serving time in Kaufman, Texas, Clyde was doing what he could to make cash, and he was doing things like robbing people. He robbed stores. He was a getaway driver for others. In late April, he was the driver for a robbery in Hillsborough, Texas. And while the robbery was happening, the store owner, J.N., I'm going to say, oh, is it Boucher? Booker. I don't know. Bucker. No, yeah. Oh no. And see, here's the thing. I know that there are sometimes that we just big fat pronounce things wrong because again, we're a bunch of hillbillies from Tennessee, you know. But there's not a lot out there about, you know what I mean? Like we're working with what we got. So I don't I just don't know how to pronounce it. And I don't mean to be hateful. I just don't. So the store owner, he was shot and killed. And some say that Clyde was the one who killed him including the store owner's wife. And she identified Clyde as the murderer, even though there were several accounts that had him staying in the car. So at this point, Clyde is wanted for murder. In June of the same year, Bonnie was released and quickly met back up with Clyde. And the couple set out on the run. In August, they were in Stringtown, Oklahoma. They had met up with two men, Raymond Hamilton and Ross Dyer. The gang were at a county dance, a fair type of event, and they were drinking moonshine in the car. While they were in the car, they were approached by Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene C. Moore. The officers saw the open bottle, and as they approached, Sheriff Maxwell reportedly said, quote, you can consider yourselves, boom, arrested. Yeah. And as he started to speak, gunfire erupted from inside the car. Deputy Moore was struck and fatally wounded. Sheriff Maxwell was also struck, but he survived his injuries. Deputy Sheriff Eugene Moore was the first officer killed by the Barrow Gang, and that is what they would become to be known by, or known as the Barrow Gang. In October of the same year, Howard Hall was working in his small store in Sherman, Texas, when he was robbed, shot, and killed. Some said that it was the Barrow Gang, but there has never been a connection made between the murder and the gang. Many familiar with all the details considered it unlikely that the gang was responsible. On Christmas of 1932, Bonnie, Clyde, and W.D. Jones were back in Texas. Side note, I want to talk about, because when we have done cases that are even before the ancestors, the older cases, 
There are so many people that just went by their initials. It's not, I mean. CGWD. D.W. Washburn. Right. J.G. Wentworth. Well, that's now, but still, you know what I mean? It's just kind of crazy. I know. It's a lot of initials. Mm-hmm. Jones had known Clyde since they were boys, and he had joined up with Bonnie and Clyde only the day before, which was Christmas Eve, and he was only 16 years old. Now, Bonnie and Clyde weren't that old either, but 16, man, that's got your whole, hopefully, whole oh, life ahead of you. And I know. On Christmas, they were in Temple, Texas, trying to steal a car when the owner approached them. His name was Doyle Johnson, and he was murdered when he came upon Jones and Clyde trying to steal his car. It's so sad because it's like it's on Christmas. His family is there. It's a car. It's for a car. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's sad because if, you know, if something like that were to happen and you see somebody stealing your car, like, let it go. Just, you know, certainly not blaming him. He should never be killed for that. But it's just so sad because your life. Christmas. Yeah. Right. And you never know what somebody who, you know, they maybe they didn't intend to kill anybody initially, but they think somebody has seen him and they freak out and they pull out a gun and it's just like happens that fast. Right. Yes. But it is, I mean, it's senseless and it's really sad. In January of 1933, Clyde shot and killed Tarrant, Tarrant County Sheriff Deputy Malcolm Davis. Um, This is in Texas as well. And the gang had unknowingly stumbled into a police trap that had been set up to capture a different criminal that was terrorizing the area. When the police sprang up to capture them, Clyde opened fire, killing Malcolm Davis. And since April of the previous year, they had at this point killed five people. In the spring of 1933, Clyde's brother, Buck, who'd been serving time in prison, was granted a pardon and release. Buck and his wife, Blanche, met up with Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones in Joplin, Missouri. Originally, Buck and Blanche were there to try to talk Clyde into turning himself in. But they quickly realized that wasn't going to happen. Clyde's not going to budge, right? And you know what they say. Can't beat him. Join him. And so they did. Torella, I got a quick question for you. What did Blanche call Buck exclusively? What'd you call him? Daddy. I want to know. Daddy. I mean, I don't have kids. They didn't have kids. As far as I know, they didn't have kids. But in 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 the History Channel thing, she exclusively refers to him as daddy. And she's played by Sarah Hyland, who, you know, modern family and, and whatever. Uh, she did a great job with what she had, but she would just be like, daddy, what's going on, daddy? Like, he's not your daddy. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. we had an aunt and uncle who called each other mama and daddy, but they had kids. And it was like, when we were all there around, they'd be like, you know, and sometimes, like, if I'm talking to Andrew, like, if I'm trying to get his attention from one of the kids, like, one of the kids is like, dad, 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 because dads don't hear that. They cannot physically hear it. And they're, like, trying to talk to him. I'll be like, dad, listen. And he's like, oh, what? But, like, he has a name. Yeah, it's not like when you're out with just Andrew and you're like, hey, daddy, um, blah, blah. Like, that's... Can't do it. Can't do it. Grosses me out. We saved that kind of talk for the bedroom. Oh, my. Just kidding. That's so gross. (laughs) I thought I would make you upset and you just took it like no problem. So that backfired on me because I I got uncomfortable. A bunch of freaks. Just kidding. 
<laughs> Two consenting adults, whatever y'all want to do, you know? Sure, sure. So they were like, turn yourself in. This is such a bad idea. It's going to go bad. It's not a good idea. Please turn yourselves in. And it's Clyde not a good like, idea. No. And they were like, fine, we'll join you. <laughs> Twist well, can't say we didn't try, you know? Exactly. So while living in Joplin, they often had loud alcohol-fueled parties, but no neighbors would approach the house and tell them to quiet down. One neighbor did, though, complain to the police who had started to watch the house. And after a bit of surveillance, they thought that the people living in the house were bootleggers. So they were going to confront them. In April, five officers in two cars pulled up in front of the house. Clyde, Buck, and Jones immediately opened fire. Detective Harry McGinnis was shot as he tried to exit his vehicle, and he immediately died. J.W. Harriman was also shot and fatally wounded in the shootout that ensued. During the shootout, Clyde, Buck, and Jones were able to get in a car and begin to escape while Bonnie used a 30 caliber bar Browning automatic rifle. And as they were leaving, Bonnie jumped in the car. They scoop up Blanche, who was in the road, trying to get her dog who had escaped. This is a whole ass mess. Mm-hmm. There's just gunfire everywhere. Now the damn dog has got out. Where's Blanche? We can't find Blanche. You know, it's like all this stuff. But somehow they like all get out. That's crazy. What are the damn odds? The officers later testified that they only fired 14 rounds during the shootout. Of the 14 rounds, one struck Jones in the side, one struck Clyde, but was deflected by a button on his coat. One grazed Buck after bouncing off a nearby wall. While the gang escaped from Joplin, they left behind the majority of their possessions, and the police had a treasure trove of things to go through, including their arsenal of weapons, poetry written by Bonnie, and rolls of undeveloped film. And the film was developed at the Joplin Globe, and once they saw them, the Globe sent them out over the newswire, and they were published nationwide. So this is where those classic black and white photos of Bonnie and Clyde come from. Everybody has seen them. As a result of publishing the photos in some of Bonnie's poetry, the Barrow Gang became front page news in America and their legend grew. For the next months, the gang moved around a lot. They went from Texas to Minnesota to Indiana and tried to constantly be on the move. When they would steal a car, if the owner officers got in the way, they'd kidnap them. And then once they got far enough away, they'd release them. Sometimes they'd give them money to get back home. But they didn't hesitate to kill anybody who got in the way of what they wanted to do. If they thought anything was going to happen, they would just shoot. Because of the photos and stories that were published in the newspapers, the gang had a difficult time blending in anymore. You know, before, it's like, there's not a lot of photos, really, to go around. It's not like now. I mean, you might have, like, in a local paper, you might have something, but... You can just go next town over and people don't know who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. just make up a name. Okay. Sounds right to me. I don't know. Right. But now their picture is in everything. And so they're, they're having recognized. Yeah. They're having a lot harder of a time. You know, they couldn't just go to a motel room in the middle of nowhere anymore. They'd get recognized. People would call the police. It's, it's a, it's a tough life on the run for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay. It's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF 
where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. In June of 1933, Clyde was driving with Jones and Bonnie. He missed some signs that a bridge was under construction in Texas. Dummy. Pay attention. I know. So because of this construction, the car flipped into a ravine. And they don't know exactly what caused this to happen, but Bonnie got third-degree burns on one of her legs. And some said that it was from a fire in the accident. Others said it was because of battery acid that had leaked out onto her front leg after the accident. That either way hurts. That had leaked out onto her front leg? Did I say front leg? I swear to God, you just said front leg. Like, what happened to her back leg? Her back legs famously <laughs> had no burns to them. Okay, I, I swear you said front leg. <laughs> oh Andrew said the other day, um, talking about her dog because she has like <laughs> hip problems. And Andrew was like, sometimes it seems like her front hips are bothering her. And his friend was like, <laughs> her shoulders. <laughs> Her front, her front hips. hips are her shoulders. <laughs> that reminds me so much of how when you started me on this, but when I have worked out, which is not often, and I'm going to get back into it more, but thanks to one of our sponsors, very excited about it. But <laughs> me too, actually. My leg tops. I don't know what they're actually called, but it's I, we just call them leg tops. I never remember my leg tops and my leg backs. I don't remember which is which, so I just say my leg tops are sore. <laughs> my leg tops do. are always sore. When really I sore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so anyway, I'm not totally sure how many legs she has, but one of them has now sustained third degree burns. Mind your business, Tori. Well, and it was absolutely one of the front ones. The back legs back appear legs to be unharmed. At unharmed, this point. totally. Yes, yes. Um, they were behind her, so obviously. <laughs> Either way, her burns were so severe that the muscles contracted and caused her leg to draw up. And they thought she would die because it, it was just really bad. One, um, on some parts of her legs, they could see the bone. Uh-huh. She could barely walk. If they went places, Clyde had to carry her, which that's a very distinguishable, you know, like, hey, you're looking for a woman whose bone is hanging out of her front leg. Her back legs are unharmed. So please pay attention to that. But this man is carrying her around like. Yeah. That's got to be really hard to get get by with, you know? And not be recognized because I know, I mean, you just don't, it's not very often that if somebody's carrying a kid, sure. But if somebody, if a grown man's carrying a grown woman, I think I'd be like, hey, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. I might not yeah. point because I'd be rude, but I'd be, I'd notice it. Yeah, exactly. 
So they met back up with Buck and Blanche in Arkansas, and they laid low, trying to nurse Bonnie's wounds. This did not last long, though. Buck and Jones tried to commit a robbery, but they blew it. And in the process, they killed town marshal Henry Humphrey. And so the gang had to quickly flee. After the gang fled Arkansas, they settled in Missouri at the Red Crown Tourist Court. Blanche checked them in, saying that there were only three people, and they rented two cabins that were connected by a garage between them. While they were unpacking, the manager of the grounds noted that there were five people and that Clyde parked the car, quote, unquote, gangster style in the garage, meaning that he backed it in so he could make a quick escape if he needed to. Um, These days, we call that dad style. Oh, sure. Damn, dads can't go anywhere without backing their car in. Every time I go to gymnastics, I have to wait to park because all these dads are backing their trucks in, in these little spots. And I'm well, like, yeah, and you think, I mean, I never see it coming. I don't know why, but they'll they'll pull in and I'm like, all right, I'll take that spot. And nope, we got to wait because now they've got to swing her back in. And I'm like, oh my God, just park. I know. And just they're, park. they're acting like they've got to make a fast getaway out of here. Like the laws ain't coming for you. <laughs> It either takes you a while to back into it in the first place or it takes you a while to back out of it in the latter place. Like, let, how about we just do it? Because we got a, a string of cars behind me even waiting and you're just going to take your sweet ass time to back in. And then and then you're going to get people behind you starting to honk. And it's like, well, I can't oh, go anywhere because man. this guy's got to back his damn truck in. I see your truck. It's nice. Go park it. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to not have crippling anxiety when someone when someone is waiting for me to do something no. in my car and then people are they can look with their eyes and they can see what you're doing and you're like oh god what if I mess up and everybody's gonna see me hit something yeah. or Andrew's you know. always like just back in and I'm like oh hell no there's people around here I ain't backing in I've done it but I do an ocular pat down at the parking lot and I'm like all right nobody is here to mm-hmm. watch this go horribly awry. Exactly. As it 97% of the time will. So I can do like a, what is what do you call it? Like a five and a half uh, point yeah. back in situation because I'm going to stop and re and stop and reassess. Yeah, exactly. and stop and, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he was doing the dad thing and he backed in and the guy, the manager was like, uh, excuse me, that looks like a gangster move to me. So I'm going to take totally note of that. Right. But then also these dummies, and I'm sorry, but that it's just like, we've got three, just the three of us. It's just three people. Don't worry about the people that you're going to see whenever we're un- unpacking. And also we're going to need five meals every time we get food at the restaurant that mm-hmm. is in this hotel or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Red Crown but don't worry about court. that. It's just, it's five meals for three people. You will see five people, two of them not real. So don't worry about those. <laughs> exactly. Two of those, like, figment of your imagination. You're giving yourself away, girl. Like, it's not even a good life. Leave them, leave them in the, in the uh, room and maybe ration the three meals. Yeah, exactly. How about that? So anyway. They also noticed that the gang put up newspapers over the windows of the cabins that they rented. Like, all of this is very conspicuous. Exactly. If you're trying to be inconspicuous, then don't do things that nobody else is doing. That, in fact, draw a lot of attention to your own damn self. Yeah, so that's, the, that does do that. It sure does. And the manager told all of this to a highway patrol captain who went to the restaurant on the grounds often. 
So one day, Clyde and Jones went to a nearby town pharmacy to get bandages, supplies to treat Bonnie's leg, cheese, and crackers. And while they were there, they caught the eye of the pharmacist who had been told to look out for strangers or out-of-towners who bought similar things when they went in. So he alerted the sheriff who called in reinforcements from Kansas City. Around 11 p.m. that night, they moved in towards the cabins that the gang had rented. So again, the gang escaped. Spoiler alert, they got away. Yep. Now, they seem to have, I don't want to say messed up, uh, something, a lot of things went wrong, but they always got away. Like, that's insane to me. I know. It's like when you watch, like, I don't know, an action movie and the lead character, like, there's 50,000 bullets flying and they, like, roll here and roll there and they just barely get out from it and they never get hit. And you're like, that's so unrealistic. And then here come damn Bonnie and Clyde and they're just like, y'all get out here. And they do. (laughs) They really do. Because there's multiple officers firing at them. Yeah. And they're just like, bye. (laughs) I mean, they did suffer wounds at the shootout. So the only reason they escaped was because a bullet had gone through and shorted or short-circuited the horn of an armored car that police were using. What a lucky break. Mm -hmm. So the officers were like, oh, this is a ceasefire. Like, we'll we'll stop shooting. That's our signal. Yeah. So the gang drives off in their bullet-riddled car. But, so Buck, Buck had been struck in the head by a bullet and had a hole exposing his skull and section of his brain. Blanche had been near a glass window that was shot and it sent shards of glass in her eyes. It almost blinded her. And they kept going. They kept going. See, life on, this is why, not for many reasons, I don't think that sure. I could. Um, not just this. No, no, not just this. But um, I don't think that I could be a career criminal because of we think that's bad, but also because of anxiety and on the run. That doesn't work for me because Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. if you get hurt like this, it's like suck it up, buttercup. We're Mm -hmm. heading to Dexter, Iowa. I mean, even a even a paper cut that's just bad enough. I'd be like, I have to go lay down. Yeah. Do you see this? I can't I can't move that little that little guy. No. no. And it hurts. And it hurts. I don't like yeah. that. And you're certainly not gonna get me to sleep outside. There's fucking bugs out there. I might could do the outside, but Hell no. I don't want to if I don't have to. Not gonna happen for me. I also just couldn't be like, oh, who cares? If somebody's if somebody's looking for me, whatever. Like I would everywhere I went, I'd be like <gasps> I know, like walking into like a store or whatever. You'd just be like, yeah, they're on to me. Exactly. I'd probably do a lot of weird like rolls around the store just to try to like, you know. Don't mind me. I would be a Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. That would be me on their end. Yeah. Also, uh, we the allergies have hit the Tennessee, okay? So my nose is just as itchy as it can possibly be, and I'm so sorry. I swear I'm not picking my nose. I'll wait till I'm not on camera to do that. One of my favorite say. pastimes, but we'll not do it in front of you. You do pick your nose often, so. I like to pick my shows, and I like to pick my nose. <gasps> oh, stick stickly. Yeah, anyway. Okay, anyway, so back to it. So they made it to Dexter, Iowa, and settled in 
an abandoned amusement park. But you might be thinking that it's abandoned and nobody's going to find them and they just live there to this day. No. People noticed that there were bloody bandages randomly thrown all kinds of places around Put this place. It in the damn garbage. Yep. You're just throwing your bloody bandages all over the place. That is what we in the biz call littering, Bonnie and Clyde. Not cool. And also gross. That's gross. It's very gross because somebody's going to have to pick it up. I don't want to touch your bloody shit. Mm-mm. No. But people noticed and they called the police. So local officers and about 100 spectators surrounded the gang and the officers opened fire. Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones escaped. <laughs> okay. Spectators. What do we do in here? You're like, you know what I want to do today? Here's my options. I was going to go for a nice picnic or I'm going to stand and witness a bloody ass shootout. I could get shot. Stray bullet could hit anything. I'm willing to take that risk. I want to see it go down. What are y'all doing? I do it. It does sound very, um, get out of there. I know it's, I don't have any business being anywhere close to a shootout. If a car backfires, I'm very nervous. So I don't, I don't have any business being in any place like that, but. It's just a hundred people were like, yes, this is going to be a good day. Exactly. And then, of course, Bonnie and Clyde and Jones were like, bye, Felicia. Yep. And Buck and Blanche, or if you want to daddy, if you're nasty and Blanche were captured. Mm -hmm. Buck actually died a few days later and Blanche was arrested and sent to prison for six years. It's honestly amazing he made it as long as he did. I mean, that's like, I get that you don't want to get captured, not captured, but his brain is exposed, y'all. He needs medical attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, bring him to a hospital. I know. Well, I mean, Bonnie's front leg bones are out. Yeah, her front leg bones are out. Her back so, leg bones appear to be in working condition, but her front leg bones fine. are shot. Yeah. yeah. So for the next few weeks, the remaining members of the Barrow Gang were spotted in Colorado, Minnesota, and Mississippi and continued to commit small robberies. They even robbed an armory of, of rifles, handguns, and ammunition in Illinois. In September of 1933, they went back to Texas or, well, Dallas, Texas to see family. Once they were there, Jones left Bonnie and Clyde to go to Houston where his mother lived. He was later arrested in November of the same year without incident, and he would eventually be sentenced to 15 years in prison. Some speculate that since he was a minor, Clyde had instructed him to tell the authorities that he was forced to ride along with the gang and pin everything on Bonnie and Clyde or Clyde and Buck, excuse me, which is basically the story that he told police. So because of his testimony, a grand jury delivered a murder indictment against Bonnie and Clyde, which was the first for Bonnie. This was after a couple, the couple had um, almost been apprehended when they were visiting family in Dallas. As That's like another just bold as hell move to go visit their family that the laws knows that they're related to. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, I'll go back there. It's not even like they're telling their, like getting some kind of like, secret message to their family and they're like hey come meet me by this tree in the middle of damn nowhere and i'll see you for a minute or whatever they're just like big fat go into their house yeah 
and like staying and eating dinner there. <laughs> and like, somehow they weren't ever like, I wonder if the laws are going to know. Well, and you would think that like the laws would have posted people up at their families' residences or watching them or something if they're this dangerous. And but they're always like one town behind him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, now put a pin in that because it's going to come into play a little bit later. So true, true. Um, as their car drove up, Clyde suspected that something was off and he drove off. And nearby, officers ran out and started shooting the car, striking both Bonnie and Clyde in the legs. Oh, no. Now the back legs. Yeah, this time it got her back legs. And that's unfortunate because <laughs> her front legs are already effed up. You know? <laughs> I know it. But guess what? They escaped. So, in... <laughs> I mean, surprise. In January of 1934, Clyde finally was able to orchestrate an attempt at his original goal of getting revenge on the Eastham Prison Farm and the Texas Department of Corrections. But he's been shot how many times now? And they just keep on going. I know. They're not it going to any hospitals. They're no. just like, tis but a flesh wound. Continue on. I yep. Walk I'm it just... Off. Cannot even. Rub some dirt in it and keep going. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. There were various people on the prison farm who were at one point or another in the Barrow Gang, and it was Clyde's goal to get them out. So in the ensuing escape, Major Joe Croson was shot and killed while several men escaped. This escape brought down the full power of Texas and federal governments. The Texas Department of Corrections reached out to former Texas Ranger Hank Hamer and asked him to track down the Barrow Gang. Frank Hamer. What did I say? Hank Hamer. Did I say Hank Hamer? I meant Frank Hamer. Excuse me. In my mind, I totally said Frank. I know. Because you were like, what did I say? Yeah. It was close. It was close. It was close. I mean, Frank the Tank, Hank Hamer, was on the was on the case now. So for most of his adult life, Hamer had searched or searched, had served as a law enforcement officer in some form, mostly as a Texas Ranger. And he is widely recognized as one of the best Texas Rangers to ever carry the badge. He officially, I know, he's not a bad, wasn't a bad egg. He's officially credited with 53 kills and suffering 17 wounds himself. How are so many people shot that many, or I don't know if it's just shot, suffering wounds. I don't know what those wounds entail, but 17? Well, and like at this time, you know, if you get a bad enough case of the flu, you're a goner. I know. And you can get shot. I mean, gangrenous things. all four of Bonnie's legs are out of commission. She's still going. I know. Thank God for those extra two, though, because that buys you some time, but sure. Three of Hamer's four brothers were also Texas Rangers. His brother Harrison was the best shot of the four, but Frank was considered the most tenacious. So starting on February 10th, 1934, Hamer became the constant shadow of Barrow and Parker living out of his car, and he was just a town or two behind them. On Easter Sunday of 1934, Highway Patrolman H.D. Perfy and Edward Wheeler stopped their motorcycles to help a motorist who was on the side of the road. 
As they approached, Barrow and another man, Henry Methven, who was one of the uh, prison escapees, opened fire. Methven later said that he fired the first shots after mistakenly thinking that Clyde wanted the officers dead. Clyde joined in after he started shooting. An eyewitness claimed that Bonnie herself fired the fatal shots, which spread like wildfire once it was reported by the papers. Over the next few months, these stories became more and more embellished. Eventually, a $1,000 reward, which is about $23,000 in today's money, was announced for the bodies of those responsible for the murders, not their capture, just the bodies. And then the Texas governor would later add an additional $500 to the reward. That's also like crazy to me because they're like, you know, talking about how amazing Frank Hamer was, Frank the Tank Hank Hamer. Excuse me. I need to use his full name. I wish um, you would. Yeah. And they're like, he was such a good Texas Ranger. He's credited with 53 kills, not 53 captures, 53 kills. And it's like in this situation, now look, Bonnie and Clyde are dangerous and they're a danger to society and they're going to shoot anybody who gets in their way. And so is Methvin. I mean, like anybody mm-hmm. in the gang, I think you can. Yeah. yeah. But like, wanted dead or alive, you know, that's just like. A good song by John Vine Joni. It's stuck in my head now. Damn it. I wish I hadn't said that. You did but, it. Like, that's what they were celebrated for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yay, you killed a bunch of people and didn't even give them a chance at the justice system. Like, right. I don't know. I mean, you could say we have the same problem today with being credited for getting the death penalty and life in prison and not, you know, the truth. But what do I know? Yeah. I don't know. Just prosecutors and not police officers. Anyway. But I mean, it seems like back then it was like, here's the judge, here's the jury. Pew, 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 pew. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. I don't know. Not long after in Oklahoma, Barrow and Methvin murdered Constable William Campbell. The public opinion had shifted, and now they saw Bonnie as a cold-blooded killer just like Clyde. In May of 1934, Hamer was still tracking the couple and began to see a pattern. He noticed that they traveled in a pattern between several states because of the state line rule, meaning that officers wouldn't pursue them from one state to another. They also started watching the family of Henry Methvin in Louisiana because they noticed that almost all of the gang's travels centered around visiting various family members scattered around the country. Keep visiting people you already know. And people know that you know them. Mm-hmm. But all right. In their homes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Preferably. Yeah. So they didn't know that Clyde had designated Methvin's parents' house as a rendezvous point if they got separated, which had actually happened only days before in Shreveport. Shreveport. On May 21st, 1934, a six-man posse composed of Hamer and Frank the Tank, Hank Hamer, and various Texas and Louisiana officers learned that Bonnie and Clyde were planning to visit Ivy Methvin. Now, you might think that Ivy is his mama, but it's not. It's his daddy's name. Iverson, he went by Ivy. Ivy, Methvin, which I kind of love, but um, in Bienville Parish that evening. So they set up an ambush on Louisiana State Highway 154 and waited. 9.15 a.m. on May 23rd, the posse was concealed in the bushes by the road. They had persuaded Ivy to pull his truck over on the side of the road, hoping that Bonnie and Clyde, when they came through, they would see him on the side of the road and they would stop. 
They were getting ready to give up when they heard the roar of the Ford V8 that Clyde was driving. And as they approached, they began to slow down near Ivy's car and the posse opened fire on their asses. Clyde was struck. Oh God. See, and this is, I can't believe they lasted as long as they did, but I was like, I didn't expect it to go down this way. I didn't expect this to be it. No, and because they always like, escaped, and I thought they would. Yeah, and then like when this happens, it's like they just keep shooting, and they just keep shooting, and they just keep shooting, and it's like, okay, guys, like I think they're dead. Like I think, I think they're, they're good. Dead. Yeah, but I mean, I would say not in the defense because that's absolute brutal force. I don't know where I land on this, but they've been shot every other time, and they're like bye, and just mm-hmm. take off anyway. So I guess I don't know ample force needed to be I don't know I don't know but I just I was like oh wow this is they finally everything finally caught up to him so Clyde was struck in the head by the first shot and died almost instantly the first shot Bonnie began to scream as the officers emptied each of their guns into the car over 130 rounds were fired and the coroner said that Clyde had 17 entrance wounds and Bonnie had 26 including several to each head each each of their heads, and one that severed Clyde's spinal column. And it's reported that the undertaker had difficulty embalming both of them because of all the bullet holes. News quickly spread that Bonnie and Clyde had been killed, and a crowd began to form around the scene. Of course, we got to have the spectators. People approached the scene and tried to take souvenirs. They wanted shell casings, parts of the car, People even took locks of Bonnie's hair. And one man was caught trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger. Gross, you guys. Gross. (sighs) The legacy of Bonnie and Clyde has lived on and they have become folk heroes to some people. Their story has been told in books, movies, and songs. My favorite, of course, being Drops Tritz. And they are remembered as symbols of the lawless spirit of the early 20th century but to many others, they are remembered as notorious killers who terrorized the country with their violence and crimes. I mean, they killed 13, at least 13 people. That we know of, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's And wounded cool. however many other yeah. others, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde's crime spree was a defining moment in the history of American crime. Their daring exploits and violent crimes captivated the public and inspired fear across the country. While their legacy has been the subject of much debate, one thing is certain— Bonnie and Clyde will always be remembered as the two of the most notorious outlaws in American history. Yeah, and they said that, what, 40,000 people went to view Clyde's body and over 50,000 people went to view Bonnie's. And you know people had to have traveled for that. Right, absolutely. There are cases that avid members of the true crime community are like, of course we know that. But there are some people in the world who don't or some people in the, you know, that you know are like, oh, I've never heard of that before. But Bonnie and Clyde, I feel like, is the one that everybody knows, whether it's because of a song or a movie or whatever. But it's, I would be interested to know if there is one person, except for like small children that have not been exposed to it yet, that don't know Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, it is such a big, it's such a big, uh, a big case, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know a lot of the stuff about it. I, I, you know, everybody knows about it, the myth, the man, the legend thing, but like, I didn't know a lot of the details. Um, of course you didn't because you're dumb, but it's, you know. I didn't realize they kill as many people as they did. You know what? I didn't either. I learned a lot from researching this case, and I have to admit that it has been a very interesting case because, 
you know, there are certain cases that we people are like, oh, are you guys going to do Jeffrey Dahmer? And I'm like, eh, it's been like kind of been done to done ad nauseum a little mm-hmm. bit like or other cases that are super, super huge, well-known, notorious cases. And at first I was like, man, I mean, is this going to be interesting to me? And then and then I I just did. I just got real interested in it. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than you kind of grow you up know. knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Then you find out about, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as of course, I can't shut up about Travis Tritt's uh, modern day Bonnie and Clyde. It is historically accurate, of course. Sure. I got a lot of my information just from that song, but there yeah. was some that he left out because it's only, what, three minutes long. So it's like he had a, somewhat of a time constraint on it, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tori actually only listened to that song in preparation for this episode. <laughs> exactly. Well, I watched it twice That's on YouTube. So That's yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I would say thorough research was done. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why I oughta. Well, let us know what you guys think, of course, in the in the comments. Um, let us know if you've listened to Travis Tritt recently. That's an important question. I just can't shut up about him. I love Travis Tritt. He's great. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, but, we love you guys. Yes, we do. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys. It's time for shout outs. It's the shout outs. Wow. Yeah. It is. But it's also affectionately named uh, Book Your Name of Time. Yep. Um, If you are a new patron at the $10 level or higher, it is your turn. You've been selected for us to fuck your name up. Mm -hmm. Isn't that exciting? You know, we don't try to. It just happens. Um, But we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Brandy Hager, Ronald J. Stonge, Camille P. Rowan, Leanne Kerr, Sarah McNair, Kayla Cranston, Alexia Menard, Bella Geddes, Skylar Cargill, Jillian Ross, Christopher Ramel, Marie Bazanson, Lavessa Moran, Mel Vermillion, Caitlin Smith, Maddie? Question <laughs> mark. Kendra H. Shelby Raglan. Lauren. Morgan. Bailey. Oh, I missed this one. Potato with hair. Um, I usually try to go back and see if there's another name. It looks like the email address has Nicole Stack in it. So if you are potato with hair, thank you. (laughs) Stephanie Biggers. (laughs) Nikki Peterson. Ingrid Bloom. Liz Johnson, Rosie Lester, Sel Babe, Drew Penzinski, Lindsay Bell, Lena, oh no, yes, Bozdetska, Silent G, okay, Maggie Ballas, and Tierra Mitchell. Wow, we fucked up 90% of those, I think. I do too. Might be a new record, but. Don't feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of your names are just beautiful, and we don't mean to mess them up. So sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. But we love you guys. We appreciate you so much. It is because of people like you 
that this is our job and we can make as many episodes as we make each week. So we love you guys. Thank you so much. And, you know, we'll see you next week. Hey, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.